Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android. And all of your favorite podcasts are there, ripe for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 44. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by three-time defending world snooker champion, Chris Raygun. <laughs> snooker? That was snooker. Snooker. Good Man, this has created quite the stir. Has it? With our British audience. I with thought our, it would. I figured it might. 
they're just not pleased about it. They don't like facts. They clearly <laughs> don't like the English language. Have you yeah. heard them speak lately? We probably should let them let let them off the hook for now. Yeah, for now. Uh, <laughs> not forever. But not forever. We'll be back to that. Chris, how are you today? I'm okay. I got into a car accident on the way here in an Uber. Yeah, you told me that yeah, when you cool. texted me. And well, uh, you're okay. You're in yeah. It was piece. fine. It was like a minor thing, but like yeah. I, it was weird because I never thought about the etiquette of being in a a car accident in an Uber or right. like a taxi. I never thought about that because it's right. never happened to me. Yeah, it's never happened to me either. Surprisingly. Yeah, I just kind of left. I just walked out and got another one. I think that's what you got to do after a while. Maybe you, you bear witness in some way if you need to. Yeah. But I would rather just kind of get. I just kind of sidled away. What will be interesting is if these two have a dispute and you end up getting called to settle the dispute because you witnessed. Oh, well, let's hope to Christ that doesn't occur. Yeah. You know, because you were saying that you think it's the, your driver's fault. I I'm, I think so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're OK. I'm glad you're in one piece. Did you always have that scar on the, on, on your neck? Was that always there? <laughs> There's a scar on your neck, right? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I had a, a good weekend. Oh, okay. I was, I was gonna say, did you? Did you have? All right. Well, we'll just <laughs> Come maybe cut we'll just let out. that one go. Chris, wait a minute. What you're saying? Let me see it. Just wait, hold it, on. Throw, wait. No, no, no. I don't, let's let's hey, video games. Okay, everybody, welcome <laughs> wait back. Wait a minute. Now Simple. I get it's it. A PlayStation don't, podcast right, episode four. So what is it? Oh, fair enough. All right. I didn't read. Okay. What is it? 41, 40, 44. It's we'll just 44? yeah. Oh, 40, episode forty-four. <laughs> snooker. Now, Chris. Yeah. We have a ton to get through today. We do. It's a ton. I want to first say that Days Gone, by the time you hear this, whether you're hearing this on Patreon or free feeds, is out. You it can is. go buy it. It's the big PlayStation 4 exclusive of the moment. Now, we're going to do a full review discussion and spoiler cast discussion about this game. And so I'm going to simply refer to you to that. It'll go live a few days after this goes live. Yeah. Uh, it will go live first on Patreon and then it will go live later for the public feeds. I just want to dedicate like an hour or so to Days Gone. I don't want to bog down this episode with Days Gone. There's a shit ton of news. Yeah. Needless to say, I, I guess we can tell people what we think uh, just, you know, impressions wise as they wait. I like the game a lot. I, I don't think it's great. And uh, I think you need to blame Sony a lot for letting it out too early because it was it was there broken. were a lot of patches that happened and it was kind of jarring. For sure. Right. So I, th I think like when you see the GameSpot giving it a five, it's like, well, did they play like patch 1.01 or 1.02? Because then that's a, maybe an accurate score. Yeah. I you you said that you, you liked it the more you played it. I had the exact opposite Interesting. relationship with it. I liked it immediately and then was immediately like consistently kind of just bogged down by it. I'm excited. So I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, me too. I'm so excited about that. So we're going to record that right after this, but we'll put that up in a few days for you. I do have a video review up for Days Gone on my YouTube channel. You can go check that out as well. It's about 15 minutes long if you want to see some footage and some like long thoughts about that. But we're going to get really into it in the Days Gone episode. And again, remember, we want to dedicate episodes to specific games when we can. I think Sekiro would have been a really great target, but I just wasn't able to play it. Mm. And so we'll continue to keep our eye out for whatever we can do this for. And like the special treatment. We did it for Red Dead. We did it for Spider-Man. I'm sure we'll do it for all the major exclusives. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah. But we'll see if we can work in some other games as well. The other two things that I want to talk about are, are somewhat substantial. Remember last week that I told you about uh, an initiative I'm doing about mental illness with a company called Charlie Cohen, and they're giving away or basically selling patches. The money goes back into this initiative called Shades of Blue that they're doing. You can go to my Patreon. You do not have to be a member to be there. You can go read up on this write up that I did about it. It links out to buying the patch. It links out to this interview I did about my own mental illnesses and my own tribulations and all that. They're raising money for a good cause. They reached out to me today and, and thanked me for that and said that they're seeing good responses. So we appreciate you. The patch will only be available until like the end of the first week of May. So go support a good cause if you can. And we appreciate you there. 
And the other thing I want to point to before we get into the really big news yeah. is that there is a golden week sale going on on PSN. I usually don't point these out because the sales are so ephemeral and so short. But this Golden Week sale celebrating Golden Week in Japan, which is basically like a holiday celebration over there where everyone's off and it's 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 cool. It's all Japanese games for PS4, PS3 and Vita, tons of games, and it lasts for a while. So you can really stockpile uh, if you're looking for JRPGs or Japanese action games, whatever the case might be. Definitely check out the Golden Week PSN sale. But Chris, the big news mm-hmm. is that Sacred Symbols merchandise is finally ready to go. Well, would you look at that? Now, I'm coupling with Studio 71 on this. Studio 71, for people that don't know, is a, basically a multi-channel network. They're, they're actually my representatives on YouTube, and they're the ones that sell ads on this show on the free feed. John Carl's a buddy of mine over there. He's one of their VPs. He helped us basically when Kind of Funny, my old company, uh, launched. And I've always really liked him and trusted him. He was actually a writer for the WWE for a long time. Really interesting, oh, really? really interesting cat. Whoa. And so he helped me put this all together. The merchandise is so we're going to do it a little bit differently for those that remember the last wave of merchandise that we did. I did it through a company called Declaration, which was owned by a good buddy of mine, Ken, and the quality was very high and and he was really great, but he just got out of the business. He didn't want to do it anymore. So that wasn't an option. And so I looked around and John Carl and I decided to get together. So if you go to (laughs) tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts tinyurl.com t-i-n-y-u-r-l.com slash sacred shirts s-a-c-r-e-d-s-h-i-r-t-s that will bring you to the storefront where you can buy your sacred symbol shirt and also your knockback shirt your fireside chat shirt your collins last stand shirt the cool thing about this is that i decided to go print on demand to give people more options this will give me less revenue but i don't really care i'm more doing this for the fans yeah and so you can like get the logo on like a black shirt or a heather gray shirt or a white shirt whatever the case might be you can customize all of that and well, i'm really excited about this too we use american apparel merch and it's printed in america the shirts are made in america all that i originally said that i i think everything was sourced in america that can't be true because american apparel does get cotton from yeah. overseas so I am mistaken on that. But otherwise, we've manufactured everything, shipped everything, all that from the United States to support American manufacturer as well. Hell yeah, dude. So go check out the shirts. Please give me your feedback, because the cool thing about these shirts, because they're not pre-printed, is that we can make like really minor tweaks. Like if you guys get the shirts and you're like, ah, maybe the next time I'd like the logo an inch higher or something like that. We, we can we can make that happen on the yeah. next round of shirts. And we're going to work on posters and stickers as well in the future. It's good about print on demand in general. Yeah. Lower margins, but that's okay. I don't really care. We we do just fine. And this is a cool way to kind of support our show. Now, I do want to say something else, Chris. And I'm excited about this because I know that a lot of the audience, you know, doesn't have a lot of money, a lot of disposable income. A lot of people listen to the show for free and $30 for a shirt. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. And and the reason that it's so expensive, again, is because of the American manufacturer. I could have gone with like Colombian or Venezuelan shirts or something and paid <laughs> and you could have got them for like 18 bucks, but we're not doing that. But I know that that's expensive. That's a lot to ask for some people. And so what I'm going to do as well is I'm going to make available 2000 by 2000 high res pixel versions of all the logos that I gave to the shirt company. And you can make your own. If oh, that's you want. cool. So I'm going to put those up on the Patreon as well. So you can go to tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts. I'm going to go on Patreon. You can go there and check it out. I'm going to post everything there. I'm going to put the logos there. I simply ask that you don't sell your shirts or give them away. But if you want to make your own and you want to save a few dollars. That's really smart. I'm I'm gonna, I like that, that idea. I'm going to allow that. So there you go. The shirts have arrived. Look at all that, huh? Chris, 
Ben wrote into us on Patreon. And remember, you can support your sh- or our show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. If you do, you get special perks like exclusive podcasts, early ad free access to every episode of this show and the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. Just like our friend Ben did. What the hell is Ben saying? Ben says, Colin and Chris, my wife and I had our first kid, William, four months ago. And in the last five weeks, I've been driving him to daycare each morning. He's a bit of a cuss in the morning. I wonder if he means fuss, but cuss might be something. I don't know what that means. And cry some, but I kid you not, on Wednesdays when I put on sacred symbols and Colin's voice comes on, he simmers right down and it's a more quiet car ride. When he first heard Chris's voice, he woke up and pooped his pants. (laughs) So the jury's still out there. Thanks for the great show and the fun over the last however many episodes. You guys are awesome. Well, Ben, that's great to hear. (laughs) Congratulations on your child. I do regret to inform you that we are now going to adopt the child and his name is now Colin. Oh, you can have that. That's fine. I, I, he can still take care of him, but we're going oh, to we're gonna, spiritually we're gonna... <laughs> adopt the child, and his name is now Colin. Good Lord. Jeff wrote into us. This is Jeff with a G. I always loved this. When I was a kid, there was a, a player, a hockey player on the Vancouver Canucks called Jeff Sanderson, and I used to call him G-Off Sanderson for like when I was like, you know, eight, nine years old, and right. then someone was like, are you fucking calling Jeff G-Off? Yeah, because you're, you're, a, da- you're a daft child. Because I was an idiot? Jeff says, Chris, do you think you keep getting sick? Because you slept through your own apartment's fumigation. <laughs> is this true? It is true. You slept. No, you listen, were in your so apartment listen, hold on when they were fumigated? It wasn't, it wasn't like a proper fumigation. They didn't gas the apartment. All right. It was just like they went in the kitchen and they sprayed the corners of the kitchen to get the roaches out. By the way, roaches are gone. For now. They're dead. No, they're, they're gone straight up. So we did it. We successfully murdered every single one of them. Uh, how long that'll last, I don't know, but for now, it's it's pretty good. It's like a real-time strategy game. Yeah, there. but no, they came over, and I was just dead asleep in my room, and they didn't bother to open the door, because why would they? They're not fumigating in there. So I exaggerated a bit and said, like, I slept through a fumigation, well, which is that technically it, true. It's not false. It, it would be funnier but, if they walked in with their little backpack sprayer, and they yeah, were just, just spraying me. in the corner. Yeah, just sprayed <laughs> you and just walked out. That <laughs> would explain a lot, but I guess that isn't, that couldn't possibly be Andrew, Sadly, the no. I, my life's not that interesting. Will Hahn wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, I hope you are both doing very well. Now, I have a very important question here, and I want you to I want to hear your guys thoughts. What's your stance on going to Japanese and Chinese restaurants or any other Asian cuisine, perhaps, and getting one can of Coke and sipping it in a glass with ice and the tiny straw they give you? I feel like every time I go to a sushi restaurant, they always do this and you don't get refills on soda. They give you a tiny glass with too much ice and a lukewarm can of Coke to pour in it. Have you two ever experienced this? It's a madness. Just let me have a refill. I hope this satisfies your random inquiry for this episode. Thanks for all the great content. Have you ever noticed, Chris, that when you go to a Chinese restaurant, like back in New York, for instance, you go get Szechuan. Why is it that Asian restaurants always seem to have cans of Coke? I don't know. Isn't it weird? It is strange. It is really weird. I've never had it because I don't like Coke. So I've I've avoided soda for a long time. But I'm aware of that weird thing. Right. But it does seem like a psychotic fever dream that you would write about this. Like, it keeps you awake at night. My theory about this, Chris, is that because Chinese was and probably still is so in, in you know, revolves so much around delivery, that it's probably easiest for them to grab the cans and then go out, right? As opposed to, like, fountain probably, sodas. Probably, yeah. You would assume it probably comes to that. But that's true. Like, in San Francisco and L.A. and all over New York, when I go to Chinese restaurants, I love eating Chinese out in New York, especially. The Chinese here is kind of bad. Yeah. But... I don't know if I've ever had a fountain soda in an Asian restaurant before. I'm just, you know, just straight up. Yeah, it's, no, I don't think I have either. I don't know why that is. Very interesting observation. Unless it's like a really nice, like, dim sum place or something like that. Sure. Like, yeah. Very interesting. Will, get some sleep. Don't let this keep you up too much. Chris, let's go in to what we're playing. Let's do it. Orjan Benjaminson. This is a, t- I, I think this is a, like a Norwegian what? name or something like that. It's like a Norse god. He says, hey, Chris, have you finished Sekiro? 
If so, what is your verdict? I haven't. I'm really close though. I know I'm close because my roommate's finished it because he doesn't he doesn't do anything but play it. But I I love it. I think it's it's honestly I think my game of the year so far. I don't know what else to say about it. I really I've talked to death about it right. at this point. But it's great. I I've, I'm consistently engaged by it. There are points where it gets frustrating, like pretty much any game. Like even Bioshock has those moments for me. But like I I really like it. It's a it's a it's true. It truly is a feat. I'm really game. looking forward to getting to it. Like what what I want to do. My plan of action. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But my plan of action is I like the platinum, the Phoenix Wright collection. I got a platinum Days Gone. That's mm-hmm. that's real close. I have like 81 percent of the trophies now. Oh, right. So I'm pretty close there, and I have all the gold. So I think I did all the hard stuff. But I want a platinum Phoenix Wright collection, and then I want to play the original Borderlands. That's kind of been marinating. And by the way, did the Days Gone music kind of give you Borderlands vibes in, in the game? I don't know if anyone out there hears me on this. No. I kept thinking about the game. That's a, that's a weird comparison. Well, I've actually kind of been playing the two in tandem. I played, I've been playing a little bit of the, the Borderlands re-release in the middle of Days Gone, but like I, I didn't notice a particularly big similarity. I did like the music in Days Gone, though. I did only notice it when I was playing on headphones. Because sometimes we do the two TV tandem out there because yeah. hockey's on and whatever, you know, it's the hockey playoffs. It's a big time. Islanders are down in their series 2 nothing, So there might not even be an episode 45 because I might have killed myself <laughs> by next week. All right. So Sekiro, that's on my list. Really want to get to it. So excited that people enjoy it and the game's yeah. doing really well. I haven't personally played anything other than Days Gone. I, I've re- I probably played it for 50 hours or so. Uh, did you play? You mentioned Borderlands, but have you ventured down any other paths that are worth noting before we move on? No, just Days Gone. Okay. I haven't had a lot of time. I've been editing like crazy. Yeah, you put up two videos, I think, in the last week. Yeah, and I'm trying to get one out tomorrow. Wow, look so at you. It'll be good. Hopefully, hopefully I can get it. I got to be honest with you, Chris. You're one of the only people I interact with on Twitter. I like to interact with you and Bunty. <laughs> The most but <laughs> yeah. when Bunty Bunty keeps tweeting out video games. And so I keep asking him like really philosophical questions about them every time he tweets it out. And it's really it's a fun little g- gag we got going on. Uh, I don't know if he knows he's part of the gag, but it's a fun little gag nonetheless. But I noticed that when you put up your videos, I, I didn't someone was busting your balls and like quote tweeting you and making fun of you. I didn't like that. Uh, I don't and know. so and, and so I felt like a very protective mother hen kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Where I wanted to put you under my wing. I wanted to kind of bring you bring you closer to me and protect you. <laughs> And so I tweeted at him a picture of uh, Ross from Friends. Uh, look at this guy. You know, that, that, <laughs> right, right, that yeah. thing. And it got retweeted and liked, I think, more than his original post. Hey, look at that. So I didn't notice shit. it. <laughs> I don't know. That I don't know who it was. But I assume yeah. that happens a lot. I don't pay attention to it. Yeah. There's too many people who like me. Exactly. That There's I'd a lot rather of people be like, paying attention to. That's a good point. And uh, I just don't like seeing my friends mistreated. Fair. See, it seems like everyone was perfectly fine with watching me be mistreated. But I personally don't like... <laughs> When others are mistreated as well. So, yes, again, we are playing Days Gone. Days Gone episode will go into that as well. But, Chris, let's get into the news because it's really time. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Okay. I think we might be able to move through this somewhat quickly, but pretty big news for us to talk about today. Yeah. Number one, Sony has revealed new PlayStation 4 sales figures, as well as more interesting information in its quarterly and annual financial reports. For starters, PS4 has surpassed 96.8 million units sold worldwide as of the end of March 2019. As the end of March also marked the end of Sony's financial year as a company, they reported yearly sales of 17.8 million PS4s, which is down year over year, albeit in minor excess of Sony's internal projections. IGN identified a statement in the greater Sony financial paperwork that that money from PlayStation's, quote, highly profitable first-party software titles, end quote, is expected to decrease during the fiscal year, which all but confirms that we're not going to get a repeat of last year's God of War, Detroit, Spider-Man, Trifecta, and in line with that, Overall revenue for Sony's game division is expected to decline year over year. However, Sony's annual profit for the year was the highest ever reported by the company, even as it projects a softer 2019. 
as the company relies heavily on PlayStation for expected uh, or for revenue, and as PS4 hardware and software sales are expected to decline alongside increased money spent on the next-gen project, Sony appropriately set expectations a year out that things could be a little rougher moving forward. The Wall Street Journal, meanwhile, notes that since the financials don't indicate any planned marketing spending for the fiscal year ending in March of 2020, you shouldn't expect PS5 anywhere even close to or around that date, which makes sense. So there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. First of all, 96.8 million PS4s sold. So it should reach 100 million by this summer and pass PS1 and Wii by the end of the summer, I assume. That's insane. Which is really, really interesting. How many PS4s do you own? I have... How many do I own or how many are in my apartment? Well, yeah, how many have you bought? I I had, I think, three. I had a normal one, then I had a pro, and then I got the this, this Spider-Man pro. And how many in your, are in your apartment? Oh, my God. There's pro, there's one in the living room. There's, there's f- one for each of us, and then I have two. So there's about, like, five, five, five six. I think there's a slim one lying around somewhere. <laughs> I have four. It's a ridiculous amount. So we're we're contributing more to this number, but generally speaking, everyone gets one PS4. Those are really impressive numbers. Yeah. And you know, congratulations to Sony on that. 17.8 million PS4 sold for the year is soft, but actually in excess, like I said, of their internal expectations, but they expect that number to go down. The interesting thing here is because they don't expect a profitable first party lineup throughout the year, Days Gone will count in the fiscal year. Dreams will also count, but it indicates that. We might not get anything else, maybe. I don't I don't know until March of next year. The Last of Us will be bigger than any of the games that were released last year, and I don't think Ghost of Tsushima will. So you would assume if they expected a bump or kind of an equal profit from first-party software, we would get something similar. Yeah. So this, to me, indicates that these games are further out than we think. That's kind of wild. So we'll see what happens. And a really nice poll from the Wall Street Journal noting that Marketing spending will be flat for the year. There's no way that they would market the console, therefore. So really interesting stuff if you know how to dive into these financial reports, which I don't. (laughs) That's not true. I kind of do. I used to do it for a little bit. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Number two, Sony Ben's long-awaited Days Gone just came out, and it did so alongside word that free DLC will begin rolling out for the game in June. At that time, survival difficulty, which makes the game extremely hard, removing fast travel, certain HUD indicators, and more, will be available for free download, and weekly tests in the bike, horde, and combat categories will also launch. So you guys have some, in addition to all the patches you'll be downloading for Days Gone over the next yeah. month, <laughs> I think there are five of them already. Good lord. You'll now be able to download these new free perks as well. No word yet on if Days Gone is going to get like some sort of expansion, which would be kind of cool. They've been doing that. They did that with Horizon, with the Frozen Wilds. They did that, did that with Infamous, with First Light. They did that. You know, so why not? Did you not? play the Frozen Wilds? Uh, no. I played First Light, but not the Frozen Wilds. I heard it was good. I did, too. I did, too. That was during my, hi- my gaming hiatus, so I-, I never got a chance to play. Number three. At the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City, Hideo Kojima reportedly discussed his upcoming mysterious PS4 exclusive Death Stranding in some detail, according to IGN. We already knew from previous Kojima hints that the game stressed some sort of interconnectivity, and he confirmed that again while also confirming what kind of game it really is at its core. Quote, it's an open world action game, but it's really something new. 
There are so many things happening in the real world, in America, in Europe. Everything is actually connected by the internet, but in a way, we're not connected in the real world these days. I'm putting that as a metaphor in the game. The player will have to reconnect the world in the game. You're very alone, there's solitude, but you're trying to connect. The story and the gameplay, the key word is connection. There are so many things in between, of course, but the key is connection, end quote. He later said, quote, you're connecting the game and everyone is playing it together and you'll be connected. Everyone will be connected together as well. I can't say anything because Sony will be very unhappy. I don't want to be disconnected from Sony. <laughs> There's a lot quote. of connecting. There. I know. Death Stranding under development at Kojima Productions in Japan is due out for PlayStation 4 at an unconfirmed time in the future. I wonder if that confirms like a weird kind of multiplayer kind of meta type deal going on. Yeah, I don't know. I hope I hope not. Like, it does seem like you'll be able to see other people in the world and, and somehow what they do will affect you. But I'm still hoping that it's like a largely a single player experience that simply has a metagame in it. Yeah. Which seems like something he would make. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't, do about he doesn't make multiplayer stuff. games, no. really. So we'll see. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I know a lot of people are joking around and I've joked around about Death Stranding in the past. It's was announced way too early. I think it's not anywhere close to being done. But a lot of people make fun of it for saying the more we hear about it, and I have, the more we hear about it, the more confused I get and the le less interested I am. But this is the first time I heard about it where I'm like, okay, yeah. I kind of understand what the game is a little bit now. Open world action game, it's like what you needed to say at the beginning, that yeah. we can kind of wrap our minds around that conceptually. <laughs> so yeah. I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I think it's probably the thing that I'm most excited about. Yeah, forward. it's up there for me. I'm most interested to see if it's actually a PS5 game. Again, I think, so. I think it'll I think be think on it PS4 is. as well, but we'll see. I think it's PS5. Could the, all the references to connectivity and connection be a red herring or or is it a, is it in, in a canary in the coal mine that he's referring to the connection between the consoles and how you can play between generations and stuff? I wonder, so, you know, knowing him, like he can be speaking about all sorts of different things. Maybe he's just he's a riddler. So you, yeah. anything he says is probably just like means everything. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a strange cat. Number four, a new persona game has been revealed and it's not what you'd expect. The game is called Persona 5 Scramble, the Phantom Strikers, and it's a Musou-type game from Omega Force, the team behind virtually every Musou game in existence, from Dynasty Warriors and Samurai, Samurai Warriors to Hyrule Warriors and Dragon Quest Heroes, and on and on and on. The game was previously teased as Persona 5S, which, along with Joker's inclusion and Smash Brothers, made it seem like this game would be a Persona 5 Switch port. Scramble is coming to Switch, however, though it's also naturally coming to PlayStation 4. This news comes on top of the announced PlayStation 5 The Royal, which is coming to Western PS4s in 2020. The Royal is essentially a redux version of the original Persona 5 with new characters, areas, plot points, and more. Mark Zebro Jr. wrote into us on Patreon just like you can and said, Hello, Colin and Chris. With the recent announcement of Persona 5 The Royal, will either of you be willing to give the game a try? For someone like myself who isn't big into JRPGs, I found this game very enticing, and with all the new additions coming to it, including new characters and a reworked story, it makes me more excited to invest another 100-plus hours into it. Love to know your thoughts. Thank you, and have a nice day. That's very nice. That's very polite. Ending yeah. To the, to the letter. Will you ever... I know you're not a JRPG guy. I know you're yeah, already smiling and, I think that's and smirking. Kind of, I think that's kind of the rub with it. Eventually, I'm sure there will be a point in my life where I have so little that I'm interested in doing that I may just happen to pick up Persona 5. I don't know. I don't want to go to high school again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I did that already. Yeah, that's a little weird. There's something nostalgic about playing games like that. Uh, I didn't really care much for high school, but I don't know. Uh, this game, a hundred hour investment is really a lot. It's of a time. lot to ask for sure. I love JRPGs, but I, I like JRPGs. You can beat in 40 or 50 hours. That That's totally fine with me. I don't know that I need a hundred hours. That's yeah. the thing that turns me off from Persona. And people bust balls, but I'm like, guys, like, it's a big ass game. I man. like finite. I I like finite things. I think is what it comes down to. I like things to have a beginning, middle, and an end, and I like those things to be like reasonably paced. You know, I I, I don't want to sit around for like a hundred hours. So it's, it's why I don't really like these games of the service thing, because it's just like, when's this gonna end? 
I like video games because I like video games. I want to play as many as I can. Right. And if a game's going to lock me in for like 100 hours, that's, that's other games that I could be playing that I now can't or that I won't have the investment in. Yeah, it's, the, it's a classic opportunity cost. Yeah. Like I said many times, Chris, that 100-hour thing would have really turned me on when I was younger. Like really, oh, sure. really, really turned me on. But as an adult... I don't want to hear anything about that, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like really turned me on. But... As an adult with means and, and things to do and stuff like that, uh, back, like we've said so many times, back in the day, I would invest in a game like Persona 5 because I'm like, oh, 100 hours? I only yeah. have fucking $10 to my name, so that would be really great, you know? For sure. I don't live in that world anymore, so th- that doesn't sound exciting to me. Like, Nino Kuni 2, which I, I I got to the very end, didn't beat, but that took like 40 hours, and I'm like, this is a nice length. I don't need any more than this. Yeah. Number five. Publisher Electronic Arts and developer Respawn Entertainment released a candid blog post concerning their hit game Apex Legends. For starters, the game saw more than 50 million players globally in its first month, and thus, the company's quote, are 100% committed to long-term growth of Apex Legends and supporting the millions of players every day, end quote. Drew McCoy, the game's executive producer, laid out a bunch of things the team is tweaking, fixing, and adding. However, there are two interesting tidbits. For starters, he says this, quote, We know that in addition to addressing issues with the game, everyone is hungry for us to add new content. The studio culture that we've worked hard to cultivate and the health of our team are very important. We take those things into account when we discuss our content roadmap, the production schedule, and the frequency in which we can update the game. Our long-term goal is to ensure Apex Legends always feels alive and thriving with a focus on quality of content over novelty or speed of release. At the same time, we want to maintain our culture as a development team and avoid crunch that can quickly lead to burnout or worse, end quote. A little later, he states, quote, Lastly, regarding other games in development at Respawn, it is important to understand that there are entirely separate development teams working on Apex Legends and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Additionally, in order to fully support Apex Legends, we are pushing out plans for future Titanfall games. No resources from the Apex Legends team are being shifted to other titles in development here at the studio, nor are we pulling resources from the team working on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. End quote. So there's all interesting stuff in there as well. Yeah. From Drew McCoy, who, again, is the producer of Apex Legends. For starters, the game is doing extraordinarily well. 50 million players, uh, millions of players every day. So the game demands attention. And certainly it's getting a lot of it. Now, do you think that this letter has anything to do with what was going on with BioWare? Oh, another yeah. Another EA studio? Yeah, 100%. I think so. I think uh, there's been a lot of mentions of like a lot of developers have been mentioning Crunch lately. And I don't think they would have had it not been for the Anthem expose. Because otherwise, there's no reason to talk about it, really. Right, because this is actually, and we have wouldn't a want to draw that attention to yourself. Exactly. We have a question about this, which we're going to get into in a minute. But I agree with you. I think that this is just a time where people are more comfortable talking yeah. about the realities. But I think the interesting kind of hidden thing here is Titanfall was clearly in development, and they've clearly either abandoned it or pushed it away. That's irritating. That's annoying to me. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said that. No, for sure. So Titanfall 3 was in some state of development, whether it was in pre-production or, or very early in production. It, you know, Titanfall 2 came out in 2016. So there's a it, theoretically that game was well along. And the fact that they want to abandon it, I think, was probably them acceding to the realities that they cannot support all these games in the studio without having a similar Kotaku expose in a few months about how fucking terrible it is there. Yeah. And so I kind of give EA a little bit of credit because it, and while Titanfall is not a massive seller they clearly invested resources into making another one and now it'll probably never see the light of day i assume uh, maybe maybe not in its form I, it's in now anyway. yeah i hope eventually it does because titanfall 2 is honestly so good and it's it's a it's a damn crime <laughs> the way they treated that game on la- at launch what's interesting is that apex legends is a titanfall game y- y- sure. it, it takes place in the universe anyway yeah which which is strange to okay 
I mean, they say that, right? I don't yeah, know. I don't they know say anything that. About it. It's, it's kind of like how J.K. Rowling says, you know, oh, yeah, Hagrid had a micro penis. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, she's all she's retconning all sorts <laughs> yeah, of sexual nobody cares, things. Nobody that. cares about this. Joseph Troxler wrote into us on Patreon. He said, hey, Colin and Chris, on the show, you've talked in depth about game industry work standards, unionization, and why it, why it is. The 40-hour work week isn't practical in this industry. With news coming out about NetherRealm working their developers 80 to 100 hours a week during development of their last two games, what is the balance that you would like to see happen in the industry that allows for fans to have quality AAA experiences while not overworking devs? Is there a solution that currently exists at a larger studio? I'm interested in what your thoughts are, again, on this topic. Thanks again. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Joseph. I'm so glad you wrote in because this is a really great example of what you're talking about. I think that Respawn and EA have identified a problem and are like trying to ameliorate it to the best they can yeah. by seemingly abandoning an entire vertical at the at the studio, not laying anyone off and then putting people from that game onto, yeah. onto Apex Legends. You just don't over overwork your workers, really, is what it comes down to. It's just basic. I don't know. How, I don't know how else to really fix that problem other than just like basic kind of management skills. You know what I mean? Just know what you can handle. I think... And I've said this before, and I, I don't want to be too controversial about this, but I do want to bring this up because did you read the NetherRealm story that he was referring to? I read a little bit of it, yeah. What he's referring to for people that don't know is that apparently some guy came out and complained that during Mortal Kombat 9's development, so this was a while ago, Mortal Kombat 11 just came out, that during Mortal Kombat 9's development, it was like horrifying. And, and, I, and I believe it, but I do want to say this, and I said this about the Rockstar story, and I said it about the Bioware story, and I said it about Respawn, and I'm going to say it about NetherRealm. I don't believe that anyone's working 100 hour weeks like I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I think that that might happen like very rarely if you're like in a fucking mode where something needs to get done. But I always try to think about that. People just exaggerate shit and maybe sometimes they don't mean to. I want to put in the context yeah. what 100 hours is. OK, 100 hours is almost five days. You know what I mean? Like four days and change or something like that of just time that you worked. I don't believe it. And by the way, there's a massive difference between 70 and 80 hours and 100. We're talking about a difference of 30 or 40 hours. The difference between 60 and 100 is a whole work week. So I just want to say, like, maybe people were working 100 hours here or there, but I don't believe that that's endemic. I think that that's insane. And I, I don't think that that's happening as a norm at any studio. Straight up. I mean, I'm just saying that straight up. Right. That's that's like almost that's not only unsustainable. That's in, that's literally crazy. This idea that NetherRealm was working 100-hour weeks? No, they weren't. Like, no, they, I'm sorry. No, they weren't. It's the same thing with Rockstar. Like, when Rockstar released the audit of their internally of their internal hours and it came out to 45 and a half yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It's like, that's, know, a, that's, a, that's a little far cry from 100. Uh, was this a quote or was this like a statement? Because oftentimes people will make just like say things and then it'll be taken as like these weird like statements when it's really just like kind of like exaggerating speak like the way anybody talks. Like usually, if you if we're having a conversation, I'll exaggerate to you just because right. it's it's what the conversation is. Right. But like, is was this like a statement made, like like posted on a blog? I like think he I think he tweeted it out, and I think it got picked up. I don't know if he gave any further interviews. We're talking specifically about the Nether Realm guy, right? But even if you remove him, like I just think that we're getting the 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 labor discussion in the industry, which is really interesting. I think is kind of getting weighed down by really extreme positions that are either held by very few people at studios. Like the the crazy person that works 100 hours a week is making all the people that work 50 hours a week make it seem like they're working 100 hours a week, but they're not. But also, mm -hmm. I think that like it actually injures the conversation because there is something to be said about would work. Do workers want to unionize? What are the benefits of those things? What are reasonable hours? How do we avoid crunch? How do we better produce our games and better lay out roadmaps to take care of ourselves? 
And I think that it's getting all lost underneath the crushing weight of the most extreme situations and scenarios that are really not common. I know lots of people that work on lots of games, and I've never heard anyone ever remotely say that they were worked 100 hours. And by the way, the important thing, and I know that this is this is without saying, but like we're also talking about this like these like most game developers aren't compensated well above the mean compared to society and that like they have a gun to their head. And from what I've been reading and from what I understand, from what I experienced and from what I know and learned, you know, it's a culture of of one upism, but no one is making people stay. No one is like, you know, maybe people expect you to work weekends or whatever the case might be. But I'm just concerned that we're, we're losing the plot. What are we talking about anymore? Are we talking about crunch? Are we talking about long work weeks? Are we talking about agency over your life? What like these are all different topics, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the difficulty conversation that was happening a couple. It's like a bunch of different conversations happening at once. This disguise is the same thing. And you need to kind of separate them a little bit. Right. And, you know, as someone who works or I, and these days, I've, I've really taken a lot of work off my plate, which is great. So I'm working a more normal workload now, which I feel so good about. And I needed to do that for my mental health. That was a major suggestion for my psychiatrist. But, you know, I also work 40 or 50 hours a week. But I've worked 60 or 70 hour weeks and I know how much more that is than a 40 or 50 hour week. Yeah, no, and exactly. Then, exactly. <laughs> and then like you're going to and then you're going to say I worked 30 more hours than that. I'm like, I just don't know that that you did. I, I'm not I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just like no, I that's fucking it's extraordinary. A, it's a, it's an incomprehensible amount of work. It's like wild. I can't I can't imagine it personally. Like it'd be shocking for I, I can't imagine working 100 hour weeks. Dude, I want to sleep. Weeks. For, I want to sleep for days after I work a 60 hour week, which is regular. Then add a 40 hour work week on top of that regularly. I just I think we have to base our conversations around reality. And if one or two people like choose to work 100 hours at NetherRealm, I don't know that that's the problem. I think the bigger problem is that like maybe you felt like you should do that. But that's a different conversation. Like, yeah, like being pressured into like right. not being healthy, basically. So I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated conversation. I enjoy having it. But I really think the narrative is being drawn by games media towards one conclusion that I think is not is way more nebulous, let's say, than than the conclusion seems to be. It's way so more I, complicated. Yeah. So let's let's like continue to dig into it. You can continue to submit questions about it. We'll continue to talk about it. I know so many game devs and I want them to be taken care of and I want them to be happy and I want them to be well compensated and we don't want to lose talent because the interesting thing about our industry is that a lot of these guys can make more money sometimes, not always, but make more money and certainly segue to other industries. They can work at movies, they can work at fucking app stores, they can work for Apple, they can, there's a bajillion things that these guys can do, work on cartoons. So you want to retain them, you know, you want to make them feel welcome and like their games matter and they do, of course. Number six. Kingdom Hearts 3's new DLC was randomly announced at the Kingdom Hearts Orchestra event held in Tokyo in recent days, according to website Komatsu. The DLC content is called Remind, and by the way, in, in Kingdom Hearts tradition, I guess, it's re colon mind, and will include new story content, new bosses, and more. I don't know anything else about it. I refuse to talk any further about it. <laughs> Number seven. The MPD group has revealed its monthly list of best-selling video game software in the United States this time for March of 2019. The Division 2 was the best-selling game of the month, followed by Sekiro Shadows Die Twice at 2, PS4 exclusive MLB The Show 19 at 3, and Devil May Cry 5 at 4. Other notable games include Red Dead 2 at 6, Anthem at 11, Far Cry New Dawn at 15, Borderlands at Ooh. 19. The original Borderlands. I actually went and looked at the original data. I'm like, Borderlands? 
Really? Yeah, it says Borderlands. It says Borderlands at 19. And Assassin's Creed Odyssey at 20. Kingdom Hearts 3 is the best-selling game of 2019 so far, with The Division 2 at 2, Anthem at 3, Resident Evil 2 Remake at 4, and Red Dead at 5. It's worth noting that MPD does order itself by monies made and not necessarily units sold. So Borderlands could have snuck up because of its re-release. And since digital sales now count, it just snuck into the list. Yeah. MPD is so much more useful now that they do that. Do you remember yeah. MPD like a couple of years ago when it was just retail? It was useless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when digital was like starting to explode. Now, I'm interested in the Borderlands. Did they even release Borderlands physically? I think so. I imagine, right? Don't they do that? I guess uh, I was just more interested in how cool it would be is if they didn't. And that game still snuck onto the list, which would be a great sign for digital yeah, sales. That'd be pretty wild. But I think you're probably right. I would assume that you would want to put it in stores. Number eight. In order to catch up with what needs to be fixed with Anthem, developer BioWare revealed on its Reddit page that a bunch of features are being delayed until further notice, including perhaps the biggest awaited addition to the struggling shooter, the Cataclysm. However, other delays include the mastery system, guilds, the second phase of legendary missions, weekly stronghold challenges, leaderboards, and more. Chris is literally yawning right now. Samuel Mathis wrote into us on Patreon. Said, howdy, Colin and Chris, I know both of you have expressed your idea that video games should be more expensive because they have been at the same price for quite some time while inflation means you're spending less on games than other goods and services. However, I feel as though the games of yesterday were worth more than the games of today. Before, there were no DLC, microtransactions, and most importantly, games worked when they were released. Now, even AAA games don't even work as they should at release. Think Anthem, Fallout 76, etc. Do you feel the quality of games would increase with a bigger price tag or should they stay the same? I wanted to tether this to Anthem because that's the conversation around Anthem. Did people really get, and Fallout 76 too, did people get a false bill of sale? Did they buy a $60 game that's not worth $60? Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know how to feel about this because when I saw Anthem, I immediately knew that there was something off about it. And when I saw Fallout 76, I knew for sure that there was something off about it. So, like, I thought it was pretty transparent what those games would end up being. To Like, to me, I just, I wasn't surprised that they were, well, to be blunt, failures. And I, I don't know. I think it's easy to say that games used to be better because it's, we, have the, we have hindsight and we have like nostalgia kind of cl- – I, I definitely feel that too, but I don't know how valid that is or whether or not it's just like memories that I really kind of cherish. I don't know if I can really distinguish between those two if I'm being completely honest. I don't know if games used to be better. I don't. I used to be of the mind that they definitively were, but that is a nostalgia comment. Some games are better. I think yeah. some games age better. I think some consoles age better. So I think if you go to NES and SNES, I think there's lots of games on there that are way better than games today. I think, yeah. if, you, I think if you go to N64, PS1, PS2, I think that's less true in the polygonal era, right? For yeah. sure. Play Resident Evil 2, the cl- PS1 classic, and <laughs> yeah, then play no. Resident <laughs> Evil 2 Remake, and tell me which one's better. No, well, of course. You know, so that th- it is an interesting but conversation. Like Resident Evil 2 Remake was great. And that's like a recent thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, but is that, I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors at play here that I just think you might need to be a little bit more. It's, it's kind of harder to be objective about just because we're so entangled with this industry. But I think it, it helps to maybe step back a little bit and be like, did, for instance, it, in as far as like the, the stuff that I'm familiar with, was Halo 3 more content rich than Destiny 2? Probably not. I loved Halo 3 way more. And I played that endlessly. Far more than Destiny 2 did, but it, was it a better game or did I just jive with it more or, or w- w- I, I don't know. It's definitely got less content. So I, I don't know. It's 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 a tricky conversation to have, especially now with the games as a service thing going on and, and it barely being done well. It's complicated. You're absolutely right, because Apex Legends, for instance, is a great example of like, where did this come from? I, I don't even clearly Respawn and EA didn't expect it to do anything because they literally, as we just talked about, restructured their entire studio in order to take care of it by abandoning 
their core game, the game that they were developed. They, they literally created respawn to make this game and, and they not apex, but Titanfall and they, they abandoned it. But I think Chris, another interesting component of this, and this is something cause you had mentioned we're so ingratiated and we're just so deep into this industry is that, and I just read it above. I just want to make sure I got it right. Anthem is the third best selling game of the year. Yeah. Right. And Fallout 76 last year, I believe, was number 19. I met people it, recently who actually enjoy playing Anthem, which blew my mind. Which I, couldn't, is, I couldn't comprehend it. It's, it's just not my taste, but like, it, like I hadn't seen that opinion because I'm familiar with all the people that I talk to have more or less the same taste as me. So when you like meet people who are like, ah, yeah, I really like Anthem, it's like, whoa, what the heck? It's like a shock to the system almost. No, definitely. It's wild. I'm so glad when people enjoy games, and I think yeah. that's great that people are enjoying Anthem, but... It is weird because the stigma on, on on one hand, the stigma destroys these games. I think the stigma of Fallout 76 really injured it. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, then I read a story on Kotaku in a, a few days ago about the crew of people that play Fallout 76 that refuse to let it go and how that roadmap is coming out and all this content is coming. Like, it's just going to come out. And the question is, is anyone going to play it? And there's just too much competition on the market right now to like release half, you know, half broken games and games that need to be patched, which I think we talked about with Days Gone a little bit. And Samuel in his question says... Now even AAA games don't work as they should at release, and 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 that, that he's right. That's, I mean, I really think, yeah. and we'll talk about this in depth. But Sony really hurt Days Gone, dude. Like, if there's one body in my mind that hurt Days Gone more than anyone, it's whoever decided to put Days Gone out before it was patched into people's hands. What a yeah. fucking mistake that bad was. Bad idea. <laughs> really bad idea. Yeah, I know that they internally expected a higher score than what they got, and. I think that that was because they were expecting to have a final product in people's hands. Not something when we got days gone, I was, I remember talking to Sony and, and asking them, you know, Sony PR people, very nice. I asked them, you know, my friend Brian over there, who's handling the game. I was like, when are we going to get the game? And he was like, next, we'll get it. Uh, it's probably gonna go out next week. And then I got it the next day. And I was like, what? First of all, it's, it's, I was like so excited that we got it so early. I'm like, oh, they're gonna give us time to play it and sit with it. What a nice thing. But actually it was broken. The game yeah, was broken. It wasn't ready. And so at least at the time that they gave it to us, man, that's a case. I will get into that in the days gone because that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a fucking case study situation that I really want to get into. But nonetheless, Samuel, we appreciate your inquiry. And, and you know, we didn't really even ask your answer your question, which is about inflation and, and spending more on games and our games broken. I just think, as we've said so many times ad nauseum, and I think Chris agrees, we just have to explore the scale, whether it means go up or down. Generation Zero, for instance, which is a fucking terrible video game that I was excited about for some reason. I don't think it's a $60 game. I think it's at 40. So we're already starting to explore that range. Yeah. And Far Cry New Dawn was also 40. And the thing about New Dawn is that I think that's a $60 game. So it's cool that they gave you that much value. You know, same thing with Ratchet and Clank, the remake from 2016. Mm -hmm. That that did so well because it was $40, but that was a $60 game. So I think there's a way to explore downward. And I think once you see an exploration upward, you'll see I am confident in enough tick and quality. Like, I don't think that Cyberpunk is going to come out and be broken. No, I just don't believe that. I would be shocked. Number nine, Bloodborne is getting a board game and its Kickstarter reached its funding goal of $200,000 in less than a half an hour. Bloodboard. Bloodboard. Yeah. Why didn't they call it that? It's a the, shame. The tabletop game aptly called Bloodborne the board game. Yeah. Shit. They missed an opportunity there. Supports from one to four players where the so-called hunters, quote, must explore the town of Yarnum and fight their way through beasts, monsters and frenzied town folk to survive the night and uncover the source of the madness that consumes it. End quote. 
The game should be ready for Kickstarter backers and perhaps even sold through retail channels in May of 2020. As of the time I'm writing this, the day before we recorded this episode, the game had around 20,500 backers pledging more than $2 million. There's about two weeks left in the campaign. That's so cool. It looks pretty cool. I, I like that Sony is allowing this to happen with their license. They remember, people might remember, they did this with Horizon as well. I don't know if it's the same company doing it. They're allowing licenses where they're not making a lot of money back. It's the same thing with their merchandise, which they're selling a lot of now too. Just a nice way to get your shit out there. Yeah. No, Sony's it's, a it's big really company. Cool. You know, they have expectations, but if you're making a little bit of a rip on a board game, why not? Yeah, introduce people who uh, play board games to it. Number 10. Website Silicon Era has relayed word that in Japan, Sony is officially ceasing repair services for both the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Portable. Oh, no. These services have long since lapsed in other parts of the world. The announcement, which came over PlayStation's Japanese customer support Twitter account, noted that the PS3 repairs will cease on May 31st, while PSP will end even sooner because they are literally out of the parts necessary to continue to fix them. That's, so they that's don't, yeah, they're just out. So not really germane, I guess, to the, to the, uh, to the audience, the Western audience that listens to this, but I thought an interesting the little tidbit nonetheless. That's sad. They ran out of those weird analog sticks. Yeah. Oh, I, they're all gone. The, sp- the analog stick that I thought was a speaker for like a yeah, really no, long me too, time. Yeah. Like too long. Wait, P- did you own it? Yeah. Th- you never, you never touched it when you owned it? I had it with, I got it in 2005 or 2006 with Valkyria profile lenses. When did you realize it wasn't a speaker? 50 hours in probably. That's shocking. Yeah. So you didn't even fuck with it? No. Nope. That's psychotic, dude. Yeah. (laughs) That's like wild. I know. Well, because you have to think about it, right? This was obviously pre-3DS. So we were coming off of DS and GBA. We were using D-pads still on handhelds. It was just very natural. I looked at this thing and I'm like, well, why would I even think that there was a stick on this? (laughs) And I thought, by the way, that stick was terrible. I never used it anyway. It was pretty bad. I think I might have used it in like Grand Theft Auto or something. Those Grand Theft Auto games are pretty good. It was a bad stick. What were those grand? Liberty City Stories and Vice City Stories, the PSP was game? It the, was it Stories? I yeah. Thought that was, I thought that was the, what's the 3DS one? Or that, that, that was uh, Chinatown Wars. Chi- oh, right, yeah. Which was also released later on PSP. I heard that was really good, actually. Yeah, it was different. I yeah. think it was more in line with the old GTA 1 and 2 top-down stuff. Yeah. But I did you play Liberty City Stories or, or Vice City Stories? I played there? a little bit of Liberty City Stories. They're so crude when you play them now, but when I, I was so excited about them when they came out. because no, it's cool. I was like, it's a handheld sh- Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. It's awesome. That was when Rockstar just released constant streams of Grand Theft Auto games, which clearly doesn't happen anymore. Number 11, Square Enix has confirmed that it is indeed holding an E3 showcase this year. The company confirmed on Twitter that you can tune into their show on Monday, June 10th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, which is interesting. And that that's Sony's traditional slot. Last year, the company did a broadcast of trailers and announcements with no live show. Their tweet doesn't make it clear if that's what they're going to do this year, though that's a safe assumption. Last year's, I think, was like a half an hour or a little bit more. What are your expectations for Square Enix at E3, Chris? Because a lot of people are saying, well, where's the Avengers game? Yeah. And also, where's a Final Fantasy VII remake? What do you expect? I don't think we're going to see anything about Final Fantasy VII. I think that's, I think that's dead, if I'm being so? completely honest. I, I, I don't imagine. like Wasn't there like a huge shakeup? At that studio, too? They removed the studio and then brought in... I don't think it's dead, but I think it was probably maybe restarted. It's definitely... It's definitely like... <laughs> we'll see. It's probably like a Metroid Prime kind of situation where it's like, we got we need to restart this to the point where it's... it's If it's not dead, it's dead for the foreseeable future. I mean, or based least, on the gameplay, I saw it should be dead. I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. The game looks cool, but the, the gameplay itself... The but action I don't know. I, I am curious about the Avengers game, especially considering what is currently out and smashing records right now. I don't know why they're not using this. Dude, it was. did you see the Avengers? I did. I thought it was wild when at the end uh, the Riddler came in. Yeah, it was pretty and insane. Fucked the, uh, fuck shit up. It was wild. When Stuart Little came in and killed. Stuart, <laughs> Stuart Little came in with a machine gun and fucked everyone up. It was crazy. 
<laughs> I literally don't know. Like, I couldn't even spoil the, the movie, spoil the movie because I don't know anything about it. The last Marvel movie I saw straight up, and I think it might have been the first one in the MCU, was Iron Man. Yeah. That was the first one, right? It's the one that started it off. And I saw that in the theater, and I thought it was pretty good. It was a good one. But that was the last Marvel movie I ever saw. That was in 2008. It just blows my mind that they, they're working on an Avengers game, and they've been so silent about it, given what's happening. They've, what is it? Was it a billion... Almost a billion and a quarter, like two. It's ridiculous how much money this movie's making, and they have the Avengers name tied to a game, and they're not saying anything about it. It's weird. It must not be ready, or they want to just hit those beats twice. But if it's I, not ready. Why even? Like this is the thing. It's like it's been announced for how long now? I don't know if they ever did. They ever explicitly announce it? I think that they yeah, might they have did. acknowledged it, but they never showed anything from it. Right? I think no. They had like a teaser, didn't they? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I I remember it being specifically announced a while ago. Well, we'll see what happens. I, 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 what's exciting about Square is that they're going to come out with some weird shit that we can't anticipate, like they did last year with The Quiet Man, which I know a lot of people didn't like. But they, they still experiment on the low end, which I think is is pretty fun. And so I think we'll see, like, you know, Tokyo RPG Factory's game, which we haven't seen a great deal of yet, their third game. And, and hopefully we'll see something from the Avengers. Final Fantasy VII Remake, I, I don't think it's canceled, but I think it's in flux. And so I don't know that they're ready to show it off yet. But what's cool about this is that it's at Sony's original time which is so weird that that 6 p.m slot was sony's so i don't know if they're planning a bigger blowout of some sort if it will be in person there's a lot yeah, of things to know. figure out still number 12 madden's annual cover athlete reveal has occurred and this year's choice is relatively unsurprising kansas city chiefs quarterback patrick mahomes will grace the cover of madden nfl 20 which will launch on playstation 4 and elsewhere on august 2nd later this year there's apparently a pretty new big new feature called qb1 in madden in the madden nfl 20 that people are excited about so uh that seems madden always comes out in august but that seems actually really early i take it sports games are kind of like the new wheaties aren't they is that, what, is that what the kind oh, of thing Oh, is? where they put a different person on Yeah, they just kind of put a different guy on the box, and it's yeah. like, oh, you're on the box? Whoa. Traditionally, being on the Madden box is considered a curse. Really? Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. You can read about it. It's been broken by a few people. Most recently, I think Tom Brady, but there have been people on the cover many times that catastrophic shit has happened to them the next season. That's, like you, you should go read about it. Like that's pretty like, interesting. It, like season-ending injuries, botched plays that like were catastrophic to the team, like all sorts of shit. Really interesting stuff. Go, you should go read about it. Number 13, the long and development follow-up to 2012's Retro City Rampage, Shakedown Hawaii, finally has a release date for both PlayStation 4 and Vita. The 16-bit open-world game is due out on May 7th. The game will cost $19.99 or your local equivalent, and buying one version of the game gets you the other for free. You can also share saves between the two versions. We call that cross-save. This is a game that I was excited about. Massive problem with it, though. Massive, massive, massive problem with it. It doesn't have a platinum trophy. Now, I know that this is like a, a thing that some people shrug and roll their eyes at, but I cannot fucking believe <laughs> when I saw this game's trophies that it doesn't have a platinum He's trophy. Fuming. What are you thinking? You can't see it, but it, it, there's smoke coming Dude, out. Dude, like, fucking... I don't know how Brian Provinciano is the guy who makes this game. He makes it by himself. I've met him before. Nice guy. Took a long time making this game. I know he's tuned into the, you know, his player base. I know he's tuned into the industry. I know he was tuned into the feedback, the myriad feedback he got on Retro City Rampage. How the fuck did you botch that? How does this game not have a platinum trophy? That is fucking nuts. You know what they say? It really bothers me. You know, Colin, really bothers me. The real platinum trophies are the friends we made along the I way. Can't, I can't with that. It's just because <laughs> it would be. <laughs> how would you say it would be like would be the platinums we made along the way? The real. I don't know. I'm not smart enough for this. <laughs> Number 14 is a wrap-up. Push Square reports that uh, that horror sequel, Layers of Fear 2, is set for a launch on PS4 on May 28th. That card-battling strategy game Slay the Spire is due out on PlayStation 4 on May 21st. Puzzler Puyo Puyo Champions is coming to Western PS4s on May 7th. 
Gamasu reports that Fighter Dead or Alive 5 has surpassed 350,000 copies shipped, while Saber Interactive's World War Z game quickly topped 1 million sold. The website also reports that adventure game Figment is PS4 bound on May 14th. And finally, Silicon Era reports that Limited Run Games, the niche publisher of hard copies of indie games, will have an E3 press conference of sorts, and that it will include all of the rest of the Vita games it plans to publish in retail form. So they'll announce all the rest of their Vita oh. games. So that's pretty exciting, although also very sad. Yeah. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, it's time to get to the new game releases. But before I get into all of that, Chris, Tyler Malter wrote into us on Patreon. He said, hey, Colin and Chris, as listeners have become increasingly aware there are a ton of games releasing each week on the PlayStation Store. This kind of volume isn't great for indie devs and makes looking for new interesting games a chore. My question is, why is Sony still releasing games on Tuesdays and Fridays digitally? They could allow releases seven days a week, and in doing so, it would make the store something to check on every day of the week and allow for more games to get spotlight with a new today category. When the two of you read the drop, we hear games that release on both Tuesday and Friday of any given week, so it wouldn't make your lives easier or the drop any smaller, but it would give the developers of two different cat bathing sims a little more room to breathe. Keep making Tuesdays great again. I don't know if it really would. I, I think it would kind of fall into the like the YouTube problem where it's like YouTube's kind of like weird because like if you subscribe to a bunch of channels on YouTube, then it's just like a constant flux of whenever the hell they upload. There's really kind of barely any room to breathe on a, on a, like a news feed like that. So if it ran like a news feed type situation on the on the indie dev front, it, I, I just don't feel like it would work all that well. It's hard to say. I mean, I like nothing really works. I'm a little puzzled why games are still released on the old schedule. Yeah. Games used to come out on Tuesdays. Then they were released, you know, worldwide on Fridays. Music always came out on Tuesdays. I think movies came out on Tuesdays. Something like that. Or DVDs, you know, DVD yeah, releases. DVDs. Movies come out on Fridays. I don't know exactly why that exists still and why you wouldn't necessarily want to release it a game whenever you can because it really is just like checking a few boxes like i even know that the developers themselves set the trophies live for instance because i was playing an early game and i was like your trophies aren't live so i go hold on and then they went live so to me i i look at it and i'm like I, I would be more interested in sony simply making the initiative putting it out feelers and trying to work better with their partners because people were talking about the snooker thing we were talking about or <laughs> what, is, what how do they say it snooker 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 and they were talking about how, well, of course, they would both release the same week because that's when the Snooker Championship begins or whatever. And I was like, but guys, that doesn't matter. Sony should be should look at that and be like, we can't release these games the same week. Like, we're just not doing it. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Like, I don't people are so eager to make excuses for companies. And I find that really weird. Sony doesn't give a fuck about the PlayStation Store. And most of the games that go out and they should. And I'll keep saying that they should care. 
There should be people playing every one of these games, talking to the developers, making a schedule, releasing them in a way that makes sense to try to elevate the games. And if the game isn't worth elevating, then perhaps the game isn't worth publishing. I know that's a hard thought. And it was, again, I just want to say no coincidence that yeah. nothing came out around Days Gone last week. Sorry. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> you know, and people were saying, well, maybe other games wanted to get out of its way. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think that Sony was like, nothing's coming out this week. Unless we probably previously agreed that you would come out today, you know? So I, I don't know. I get frustrated, Chris, because I think Sony should do so much better. And I know a lot of indie devs and I know a lot of indie devs that have done very well on PSN. And what I hear from them is not good stuff about yeah. working with PlayStation. What I hear from them is that Sony doesn't seem to care too much about them anymore. That it's hard to get in communication with them. It's hard to even get a PlayStation blog post. It's hard to get placement on the store. These are guys that have sold millions of copies sometimes of their games on PSN. So if they're saying that, can you imagine the guy who's like one dude making a PSN game hoping to get noticed? He's fucked. Yeah, it's it's a mess, honestly. I don't understand it. I don't it. know how to fix it, though. It's like it's uh, I don't even think I, I don't even think they really understand. I've made my proposal hire a council of people that this is what they're responsible for at Sony spend a couple million dollars a year and make, and, and make a team yeah. that literally is responsible for curating, for playing these games. And as I said in the past, everyone, there should be a 10, let's say there's 10 people. A game is submitted. The game needs to get eight votes to get published or seven votes. And you're not judging it based on anything other than like, well, whoever this is aimed at, enjoy it. You'd probably get rid of half your games that way. That would create, you know, a bunch of, <laughs> A bunch yeah. of room and oxygen. I get really frustrated because I think that this only hurts game devs. It doesn't hurt anyone oh, else. Oh, for sure. Now, would you like to go first or second? Uh, I'll go. I'll go first. I guess. Okay. You always like to lead off. I appreciate that. Yeah. Get on base, Chris. Let's go. Bird game comes to PS4. In Bird Game, a third-person flying adventure, a very special adventure awaits you. Oh, I don't like. I don't like the two adventures there. Ugh. Complete with a serene. I didn't write that. <laughs> complete with a serene soundtrack, a difficult yet relaxing adventure. Oh my, oh my god! god. <laughs> a, di a difficult yet relaxing adventure awaits all those who wish to be one with nature. That's a lot of adventures in the same sentence. A third-person flying adventure, a very special adventure awaits you. A difficult yet relaxing adventure. Two sentences. Sony definitely cares, though. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Someone on that team would read all these write-ups that are submitted and be like, who wrote this? Yeah. And then rewrite it so that maybe someone reads it and says, oh, that sounds interesting instead of fucking making fun of it. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. The whole point of this segment is mostly us making fun of bad write-ups. Yeah. Uh... And the other reason I like to do it is because I just want to acknowledge every game on PSN at least one time. And so that's why we do it. Black Paradox comes to PS4. Black Paradox is a fast-paced roguelike shoot-em-up. Unleash an arsenal of weapons, power-ups, drones, and other upgrades to survive waves of enemies against the backdrop of vibrant pixel art and synthwave soundtrack. Enter the cockpit, ready your weapons, and prepare for the ultimate galactic showdown. See, that's a good write-up. Tells yeah. me a little bit about the game, makes it, makes it seem exciting. Yeah, look at that. Bomb Chicken comes to PS4. Play as a bomb-laying chicken in this action puzzle platformer. Who doesn't love chicken? Especially when it's smothered in delicious blue hot sauce? That's actually a question mark. Yeah. I'm not being yeah. an idiot. <laughs> After a freak accident, a seemingly ordinary chicken becomes a bomb-laying free-range hero. <laughs> Explore the versatile mechanic of laying bombs in this explosive exploration platform. Free I like range. that one too. Free range would have been a better word name for that than bomb chicken. Free range chicken or free like free range chickens actually would be a funny superhero name or character name. <laughs> you guys can take that out there. Bomb, bomb chicken was, was it's a good name. Bomb chicken's good. But it, it caught my attention. It doesn't work on the double entendre. It level. doesn't. I suppose it's a bit lazy. 
Box VR comes to PSVR. Box VR brings music-enhanced, boxing-inspired workouts to virtual reality gaming. Leading fitness instructors help us produce a variety of boxing workouts specifically designed to destroy calories in the most entertaining way devised. We are constantly improving Box VR with new classes, music, moves, and features. It's funny because I've been thinking about trying one of these uh, these athletic like workout games because I went and tried on my suit because I have to go to a wedding in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I haven't tried on since 2016. Not looking good. Not a good scene. Oh, no. Not a good scene. I, I, it's weird because I weigh the same, but my gut is just so much bigger now. It's like a chain link fence over a, over a quilt, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Crash Bots comes to PS4. Take control of the latest line of robots and test their fighting capabilities, agility, and endurance in various arenas filled with dangerous obstacles, booby traps, and enemies. In world mode, reach the finish line of each level before your battery runs out. In endless mode, run as far as you can before your energy runs out. All right. What is the significance of booby traps? Why is it called booby traps? I don't know. I should I should read up on this. I don't this. know the etymology of that. By the way, did you say it was like a chain link fence over a quilt? <laughs> what does that mean? Because like you put like like something uh, with like a pattern over it. Oh, and then it, it, like, pops, and then it kind out of pops out of it. I see. Little... Okay. Yeah. Very well done. That's a very specific, vivid image that I probably only understand. I get it now. The end is nigh comes to PS4. Follow Ash, one of the few things that have survived the end of the world. Feel his stress levels rise as you throw him into an endless swarm of decaying mutant creatures and aid his final epic quest to simply make a friend. <laughs> Feel his stress levels rise. <laughs> I don't need any more of that. I don't, me you. neither. Please. Fade to Silence. I actually, I actually saw a little bit of this at uh, PAX. Fade to Silence comes to PS4. Fade to Silence takes players into a frozen post-apocalyptic world where defying nature's threats and enemies is key. A compelling mix of a puzzling story, a constant strife for resources... Balancing short-term needs versus your long-term goals and a tense atmospheric mood makes this game a unique survival adventure. Felseal Arbiter's Mark comes to PS4. Felseal Arbiter's Mark is a turn-based tactical RPG with a focus on storytelling and strategic battles. Unfold a mature story as you progress through hard-crafted scenarios controlling your own group of Arbiters with each character custom customizable from a wide selection of classes and abilities. I hope that game's good because I, I really would like to play it. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. What is it? What is this? Giga? Yeah. All right. Giga. Giga Wrecker Alt comes to PS4. In the near future where Earth has been ravaged by robot invaders, the fate of the planet rests on the shoulders of a young girl who becomes more than human. Saved from death and cursed with cybernetic powers beyond comprehension. It's up to Reika Rekiji. I'm not even going to pronounce it. Reika Rekiji. Rekiji? I don't know. Whatever the hell that is. To save humanity from the evil Ajit. In this exciting new game from legendary developer Game Freak. Oh, what? Interesting. That's kind of fascinating. I okay. forgot that they were coming out with a game. They did post on the PlayStation blog a while ago. I'm a little disturbed by your confusion of the word Giga. That's actually a real word. No, no, yeah, but like I thought about, I thought like Giga. Oh. Because like I don't, you know how these game uh, titles Japanese are. Japanese games, especially. Yeah. Tower of Dragon Asia comes to PS4. Experience a unique action-packed adventure as a mythical dragon while fighting waves of dragons to ascend to the top of the Tower of Dragon Asia. Play as five unique dragons as you venture through three worlds of carefully crafted levels and countless waves of enemies in order to climb the mysterious Tower of Dragonasia. Way too much use of the word dragon in there. Yeah, a lot. Valhalla Cyberpunk Bartender Action comes to PS4. You are a bartender at VA11 Hall A, affectionately nicknamed Valhalla. Although it is just a small bar in downtown Glitch City, it attracts the most fascinating people this side of dystopia. Keep your clients lubricated... And you will be made privy to the most interesting stories. Cool. I love the I love the term lubricated when you talk about drinking. Yeah. The funny thing about this game is I, I think it was supposed to come to Vita. I don't know if it did. It looks pretty cool. I like the name. Yeah. But it's I actually spelled it out, but it is called VA-11 Hall-A. 
oh. cyberpunk bartending action. But I was afraid that if you got to it, that you would have, and you did indeed read it. I thought about you and I was like, well, Chris will have a, an aneurysm. Yeah, I, I probably will. I can't read English, guys. So that looks pretty cool. I uh, don't see much else that I would, I, I would, I've never played any of these games, so I can't literally recommend yeah, anything. Fate of Silence looks kind of neat. It looks like uh, weird, like Skyrim Darksiders kind of thing. It's weird. So some games for you to check but out yeah, if you'd like. I but I think everyone's going to be busy with Days Gone listening to this show. Probably. Chris, we have eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience, as we always do to end the show. Remember, you can support us on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. That's how you interact with our show. Otherwise, we simply ignore you. Chris, let's start with Zaya Amanuel. 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 Zaya Amanuel. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. I think I was also having a stroke. Are you getting tired of the constant misinformation running in the game space? More frustrating among game journalists. A recent example is with Mortal Kombat 11, where a post on Reddit claiming you need to spend $6,440 in order to unlock all the skins on Mortal Kombat 11, when in reality you cannot buy any skins in Mortal Kombat, apart from the Fortnite-like daily store, and you cannot purchase loot boxes of any kind. In other words, the only way to earn most skins is simply by playing, and the mistake had nothing to do with microtransactions, but more so a misjudgment in grind limits. Yet microtransactions took center point of the conversation and everyone regurgitated each other's posts, only sharing in common. Nobody did the proper research or owned the game. Thoughts? I don't know that I agree with this assessment. Have you been? I don't know anything about the Mortal Kombat thing. So the thing with Mortal Kombat 11, for people that don't know, and again, it's not a game I played. It's a game Chris would more likely play than me. But the thing with Mortal Kombat 11 is apparently there are a series of modes in the game that are really grindy. And there's like a bunch of shit that you can unlock and you have to just go through all these motions or... Similar to, let's say, Assassin's Creed Odyssey last year, which took, I think, 120 hours to platinum. Or you can go and buy a bunch of shit that makes the game easier. I don't know that people are misrepresenting it because this is a game balance issue and it is fucking annoying. Yeah. When you make something attainable in quotes in a game, it reminds me of like old App Store and Facebook things like I never played Facebook games, but you would hear people playing Farmville or whatever, and like you would grind out whatever you would get seeds or whatever the case might be. The point I'm trying to make is like, you have to set a perfect cadence and balance so that people can spend money, but don't feel like you're trying to get them to spend money. I think that that's two, that's two different things. And it's the needle that needs to be threaded. If you're a man of means, a woman of means, and you play the game and you're like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. That should be your prerogative. Yeah, that's valid. But if you're someone who wants to play the game regularly and you're literally like, this is insane that you're making me do all this for this when I can just go buy it. I think that's different, and that is a design philosophy, and I think that does deserve criticism. Whether it needs to be directed at WB or NetherRealm is another thing entirely, but I think that that's a bit... I don't want to say Zaya is misrepresenting it, but that's not how I interpreted events. That's Yeah, that's fair. I think... I don't know. It, it does bother me when it's in single-player games, specifically because, like, I, I've said this before, but, like, the only reason that you would put microtransactions in a single-player game is to artificially in, inflate whatever kind of grind that is in there that would otherwise be far shorter. There would be no incentive for you to pay for something if it wasn't annoying, you know, to get on your own. Because otherwise you would just do that. Right. So, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not familiar. I, know, I'm not, I don't know what the hell's going on with Mortal Kombat right now. I'm not really that into fighting games or really Mortal Kombat at all. I, mean, it looks I didn't like even know that there were microtransactions in it until, uh, like, yesterday. Yeah, there's, like, this tower that you have to climb and these various horde-like fights, I think. There's a tower I, you have to climb? So, something like, I don't know if you're literally climbing it, but, like, you're fighting and then you're going up some oh, ladder. Like a tournament kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And... I think people are just frustrated with the balance. I have no problem with microtransactions at all, specifically if they don't affect anyone else, if they're skins yeah. and stuff like that. But 
But that's the thing. Occasionally, like this, something like this will happen where it's like very clearly like this would ne- if you couldn't buy these things, there's no way the grind would be this ridiculous. Exactly. That's the th- that's the problem. And I think, you know, I, I don't know why, but Assassin's Creed Odyssey just comes to mind because I think it was a similar thing where people were getting really frustrated. That's the first by, one that I heard of yeah, doing that. Yeah, that it, it just you got to thread the needle a little bit better than that. And by the way, I think if you thread the needle more elegantly and you like don't seem so predatory, I bet you make more money. I, I don't, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I, think I, so. I would believe that. I think that's probably why Fortnite's enormously popular. Because I don't think it's as nearly as egregious. Right. Because it goes back to my Plants vs. Zombies 2 story from 2011 or 2012, whenever that came out, where, like, it literally, you literally couldn't buy the game. You had to, like, literally spend money in it. I'm like, well, fuck off. I'm not, I'm not giving you, I would literally give you $20 and I'm not giving yeah. you anything. Yeah. So, Reminds me of those games that would have, like, uh, those uh, mobile games that would have ads pop up to, like, make you want to buy the full version right. so you didn't have to deal with the ads. Now we just get, can you leave us a review on, on the I, you know, on, the, on the store or whatever? Tyler Garrett wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, been listening from the beginning and finally became a patron this week and I'm loving the perks. Should have done this along, or he actually says should have done this fucking ages ago. I agree with you, Tyler. Welcome. I was wondering if you guys have seen the guy who beat Sekiro using Donkey Kong bongos and what you thought of that. Is this guy a masochist? I can't even get into those games being how easily I rage quit. Did you see this, Chris? No. I, no. So well, I wanted to bring this up. So first, I, I, I believe it. Yeah. So first of all, a guy beat Sekiro, I think, on PC by, you know, for people that don't know, GameCube had a game called Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, I think it was called. No, it was and Donkey Konga. Donkey Konga. Right. Yeah. And it Holy came no. with it came with these bongo controls. I played the game one time. And they're useless and they just they're just probably in landfills all over the place. But, <laughs> but someone, I think, on the PC version of Sekiro managed to hook that up. And so I think some way anyway, he beat the game using the bongos, which I think is so funny. And I wanted to bring it up just because I, I was curious how you felt about we've talked a little bit about speed running and all of that, but about finding your own challenges. And I, I think it is a little masochistic in the sense that and I'm not, not in a bad way, I guess, but I don't know how someone sits down and is like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stream it. <laughs> so like the pressure is like already yeah, way yeah. higher you're performing too it's crazy to me yeah it, that's exactly know. right he's performing yeah i don't know i think uh, uh, making your own challenges is like part like half the fun of like games back in the day specifically i think uh, i think now it's a little bit less so i think now games kind of don't want you to do that they kind of want to give stuff for you and they kind of want to entice you with like future products like there's gonna be new content instead of just making content that's like you know constantly replayable I used to spend a lot of times like bursting at like trying to get out of like maps or like bust out of levels and like we'd spend like hours in the same place in like a specific level in some like shooter just trying to get through a wall, you know, it's kind of like that. It's like I, I miss that stuff. And it's cool to me that somebody managed to do that with friggin game. Bongos. Bongos. Yeah, it's it is really wild and really interesting, I think. And does I, Sekiro need a bongo mode is what we should be. asking. Yeah, I know. We're talking all about the easy mode and accessibility. Well, it's never been less accessible now. If somebody can. Wait, for real though, if somebody can beat Sekiro on bongos, what does that what does that say about difficulty? Exactly. It's entirely subjective and relative. Yes, it is. So like I wonder bongos. you know, I don't know. I, I always wonder about game skill level, generally speaking. Yeah. What's interesting is that we talk about games, I don't think people really meaningfully talk about it, but about how good a person is at a game. Like we make fun of Dean Takahashi, for instance, at games yeah. for his like cuphead thing or whatever. But, and like we make fun of Arthur at Polygon for that Doom gameplay. And it's horrible. But I also have, I've talked in the past how I put up this really terrible Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2 gameplay from Tokyo Game Show yeah. because I couldn't read the screen to invert my controls. But we needed footage <laughs> and there was no one to help me. And it's awful. And people made fun of me and stuff. So we've we've all been there. But I really consider myself 
well above average at video games, but it depends on the game you're talking about. Like, no, I think sure. I'm expert level, actually, at, like, side-scrollers and old-school games like that. Maybe a little bit above average at shooters. But I wonder, like, what kind of overall skill level and confidence in your skills you have to have to be like, I'm fucking doing this. Because I would never do that. The, the craziest thing I ever did, in quotes, crazy, is I played all, Mega Man 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 in a row on a stream and beat them all. And that's I think, insane. That's actually I, insane. That's insane. That's, that's bongo-level ridiculous to me. And I don't think I died either. That's bongo levels. That's bongo. But I played it on an NES controller or whatever, a Wiimote or whatever it was. And to me, I don't know. That was just playing the game. That's bongos, my friend. All right. Well, fair enough. That's bongos to me. Fair enough. I think everybody has that game that they're probably like a savant at. Right. Like one thing. At least one. Thank God it's the most useful thing in the world that I'm a savant at. Mega Man. (laughs) Angie's list is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Kyle Lieberton wrote into us and said, hello, Colin and Chris Colin. Would you play a 3D third-person Mega Man game? If so, what would it need to do in terms of mechanics? If not, well, fuck you for being no fun. That's incredibly harsh, Kyle, but I appreciate your question. There is a 3D third-person Mega Man game. It's called Mega Man Legends. came out in the fall of 1998. I got it for my birthday in ninth grade. And it's a decent PS1 game. It came to N64 as well called Mega Man 64, in case you have that version of it. So those games do exist, and I I didn't think they were especially good. I was always annoyed that people liked Mega Man Legends so much. I'm like, it's fine. It's like really not very good. I've said many times in the past, I would love to make an open world, third person, action, violent, gritty Mega Man game that fuses the two Mega Man game, first two Mega Man games together. I will be happy to write it for Capcom. I thought Capcom Vancouver <laughs> would have been the great studio to make it. Capcom Vancouver no longer exists. So good thing we didn't start the project there, but hopefully we will start it at some point. One day. Kamal Hans wrote into us and said, hey, lit fam, do you think the controller needs more buttons? That was awful. Personally, I would love to see the next gen controller come with buttons or paddles in the back. This would make tasks like jumping and aiming at the same time and FPS is more natural. With PC nerds having 100 buttons on their keyboards, I think it's fair to add a couple more to the base controllers. Chris, no, how do you feel about no, this? I don't no. I don't want any more buttons. I disagree. I think the thing that turns me on to controllers is the fact that there are a finite amount of buttons. The thing that bothers me about keyboards is that there's just all these useless buttons that don't do anything. And then like some of them use like some of them use X and some of them don't. Some of these some of them use X for C and C for V and it's like what what are you doing? This is annoying. It's just so much wasted space. So like no, I I don't I don't want that. And and, and besides, they well I guess it's not an option for everybody, but the 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 elite controller on on the Xbox ecosystem side of things has paddles in the back that you can remove and put on. So I think here's what I would like to see: optional controllers with that as an option. As you know, as far as the whole industry goes, I would like to see it for Nintendo. I'd like to see it for PlayStation because it's already on the in the Xbox ecosystem and people like it. But I wouldn't want it to replace the way controllers exist now because I personally think they're probably the best they've ever been. They're super comfortable now. They, they're ergonomic. They work. Everything that needs to be there is there and nothing that doesn't need to be there is there with the exception of the touchpad. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the touchpad, we're, the, the touchpad is going to stay. I yeah. think we know that now. 
or maybe not. I mean, we know that PS5 will read PS4 controllers. I guess that's as much as we know, actually, yeah. right now. Maybe it won't stay. But that did add an extra button. And actually, we lost the button yeah. with the share button because it used to be select. So actually, it kind of is equivalent. What I thought about first was uh, the Duke controller from the original Xbox, which, ha which had the white and black buttons on it, which I always thought was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Those buttons was, were like a, That was like a more Genesis style, like six button, six face buttons. Right. I remember when I, you know, I think my first... I think I got my Xbox in 2003 and uh, KOTOR was my first game. And I remember taking the controller out. It was the smaller one. It was not the, the, the Duke, S. but the S. Yeah. And I remember looking at the buttons for the first time and playing with them. And I'm like, I don't even know what you do with these. And I, I don't, I barely remember ever having a game where they were utilized. So I think that that's a version of a controller that actually does have more buttons than we have now. And I don't think well, we need more. Technically not because. Didn't it have two triggers or did it only have one? It trigger? had, it had two triggers, but no bumpers. Oh, no bumpers. So those oh. buttons. Those buttons were the bumpers, basically. Oh, that's right. Well, I'm not yeah. even talking into the mic. That's right. That's right. Huh. I'm an Xbox nerd from back then. Well, no, day. you certainly are. Good for you. You know what I liked about the Xbox controller, too, was that big Xbox logo in the middle, and I used to just love touching it because it was that, like, soft plastic. Oh, yeah. It was nice little rubbery. What a waste of space that was, but, <laughs> yeah, really interesting. You know, so, yeah, I don't know that we need more controllers. What I've said over and over again, though, Chris, is I do think we need a convention about how the games control, feel, and menus operate. I think Nintendo, Xbox, and Sony should get together and be like, this is the way we're fundamentally corely, you know, X is forward, circle is back. It's actually the opposite in Japan, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that. So, I'm like, can we, can we normalize it so that when I play a shooter, I generally know how to play it? I think that that would be much more interesting. Like, I don't know that you're going to get better control schemes, whether yeah. or not you like the feel or not, but a better control schemes than like a Call of Duty. I just like, is, is a shooter going to feel better than Halo? Is a shooter going to feel better than Gears of War or something like that? I think we have to like look at what works and just replicate it and stop like reinventing the wheel like they did with Just Cause and all this shit, right? I hated the shooting in Just Cause so yeah. much. I'm like, I can't play this. Just give us button mapping. Right. Let's make our own control schemes. That's really it. You don't need to add like some crazy lever. On the side of your, you know, dual shock. It's not necessary. That's the other thing I said. If I ever made a game, I would absolutely allow mapping. I know that that's a QA nightmare. Oh, but, for sure. But you, but you have to, you have to do it. But on controller, surely it's a lot easier than on PC. I would assume so. And by the way, Chris, because you brought up the Elite controller, people have been writing into us and we have said in the past, there is no official Sony Elite controller, but there are Sony branded Elite style PS4 controllers that are endorsed by PlayStation. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know who makes them. I, you know what? I, I'll pick one up. And it's then not bring Sony. It I'm, I'm just I'm not. really curious about it. I did get the green controller, the forest green DualShock with the white trim. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. Looks lovely on the shelf right now. Jorge Palomino wrote into us, Chris, and said, a mostly excellent greeting to both of you, good sirs. A couple of episodes ago, you talked about whether the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel or a Killzone sequel should launch with the PS5. I think it would be a good idea to have the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel with access to a Killzone PS5 multiplayer beta, possibly including all sorts of new modes and such that could lead to a great multiplayer shooter launch for the Killzone game. Curious on your thoughts. Also, I wish games would bring back bonus mini games that you could unlock like back in the day. How cool would a Horizon Zero Dawn snowboarding game be? That would be fucking awful. And I wish you stopped, Jorge, while you were still ahead. But as far as what you were saying about Horizon and Killzone, that would be very interesting. Now, I shared with Chris, I, I, I don't think he even responded to my text, but I heard some substantive rumors about all of this shit yeah. over the last week from people I trust. And uh, there's some moving and shaking happening yeah. with the with uh, some of these games. It should be interesting. I don't want to see a snowboarding game, though. No. no. I liked SSX, though, back in the day. Snowboarding games that are snowboarding games are fine. You don't want to play Horizon Zero Dawn? <laughs> it reminds me of, of uh, uh, Cloud snowboarding in Final Fantasy VII. Not necessary. 
That happened? Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely happened. Final Fantasy VII? Yeah. I think it was at Gold Saucer, but it could have been some other time. Yeah. There's a snowboarding game and a motorcycle game and a Chocobo racing game and all that kind of what stuff. The hell? Okay. I only know that because, well, I played Final Fantasy VII when I was a kid, but I just platinumed it like two years ago. So I, it's still on the mind. But yeah, I think there's got to be some sort of cross-pollination if Gorilla is doing two games at once. But I don't like sealing multiplayer betas behind game sales. I just think, and pre-sales and shit like that, I just think it's it's predatory. I think that it doesn't, it benefits like the most fiscally and financially secure gamer, but not necessarily the most passionate or useful gamer for your beta. And that's why I think betas should be signups. Like, I think you should sign up for betas, yeah. regardless of like if you're sales, because then you have a nice cross section of people. Just because a person was able to afford a pre-order doesn't mean that he has more valuable insight necessarily than a Killzone fan who's still playing Killzone Shadowfall because he can't afford or doesn't choose to afford or whatever the case might be a game. So, yeah, there could be some cross pollination there, but I will say no more for now. Guitar Raven 28. That's an interesting name. Is it a raven that plays a guitar? That sounds like an old, uh, like a really old YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, it does. Greetings to the sea catastrophe. I don't know what that means. Now that I support the show on Patreon, a longtime listener, yada, yada, yada. Thank you. I can ask about a little problem I've been having. Well, this is exactly what this podcast is for, to yeah. solve your problems. See, I have this habit of buying physical games, the newest victim being Days Gone, and I leave them in the wrapping if I have no interest in playing them right away. Now, usually I only do this with games that go on sale for a great price. Otherwise, I'd wait for another time to buy them. Days Gone was an exception because it was gifted to me. Regardless, half of my shelf gleans in plastic wrapping, and it will probably stay that way for multiple decades. How I would love a year with no new game releases to open and play all those trapped, suffocating games under cellophane wrap. Uh, cellophane wrap. I've said that many times as well. Anyway, my question is pretty simple. How many unopened games do you two own? How horrible are your backlogs? Colin, I know that you have boxes of unplayed PS4 games from the gaming journalism days. Chris, I know you have boxes worth of roaches stuffed in your apartment, but how many unopened games? This is an interesting question. Yeah. Do you buy games and not open them? No, <laughs> no, I can't. I, I'm the kind of person that, like I, I tear the plastic off like new TVs and then like and like electronics because it That's bothers. That's so the hell satisfying. Out of, it bothers it? the hell out of me, but also it's satisfying oh, to do it. It's the best. You only get one shot at it. Yeah. So no, I don't. I don't like the look of cellophane wrap all over my new shit. Like I don't like it. I actually straight up, I don't put a case or a screen protector on my phone I've for the same that. reason I've because that. I just don't. I just don't like the way it looks. It was designed specifically to be what this form factor is. Why would I put why no? I'm I've just always, gonna not I'm just not gonna drop my phone because I'm an adult. Oh. Well but. <laughs> that's interesting. Don't tell Aaron. Now <laughs> I will say that I've noticed that you have an I, I have a case on my phone, like a, a rubber case of some sort, but no screen protector, because I always found that a little weird as well. The screens, you know, as as the famous story goes, Steve Jobs had the iPhone, the original iPhone kind of prototype in his pocket with plastic screen and his keys were scratching the shit out of it. So we got gorilla glass instead. So these things are like almost, I don't want to say totally, but almost unscratchable. So I yeah. never really understood the screen protector thing, yeah. but the case I think has saved me once or twice for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm short. So when I drop my phone, it doesn't matter. You are very short, but you are very short, but no, I, I can't, I can't go. I typically never bought a game that I didn't want to try immediately. Cause I didn't really have that. Like it would usually get like maybe one game for Christmas. Or, like, maybe I would save up for one game after, like, a long time. So, I pretty much opened everything immediately. I never really got a <laughs> just a huge amount at once. I always opened games that I bought. And I will say during the instruction manual era, which was a long era, I used to be really eager to open the games because the books smelled so good. I loved the way the books smelled. You would, I would yeah. open the book and just sniff no, the ink. I, I kind of agree. But since games don't come with instruction manuals anymore, that whole thing is dead. And I don't get physical games too much anymore. I have a few physical games that are unopened from this year that I got from various publishers. And that's the thing. I probably have 
more than 100 on open games between PS3, Vita, PSP, and PS4, but it's just because I would get the games for free at IGN and then I would never play them. Those days are kind of gone. I kind of have to request my games now, and I've never bought something and not opened it. Yeah, but even if you get a game now, it's usually digital. Right. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of unplayed digital games for sure yeah i have hundreds of those. i have a ridiculous amount like probably way more than <laughs> way more than i really should yeah i go on the store sale a, a very steam like scenario where i go on like with the flash sale going on now for golden week i'm gonna go on there and probably buy a hundred dollars in games i'm never gonna play just because i feel like it, the price is right yeah but i will say this that there are some publishers that still deal in physical media like namco bandai still sends me physical games which i always thought was really interesting for nino kuni 2 and then more recently for the tales of asperia re-release I was like, can I get a copy? And they're like, sure. And I expected a code. And then the next day in the mail, I got like the game. So I was like, okay, I'll take it. Two more questions, Chris. Jeremy Millar wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, with the announcement that the PS5 is backwards compatible with PS4 games, does this mean we can expect the inclusion of a touchpad on PS5's controller? So I didn't want to talk about this too much before. Yeah. I don't think so. You don't think? Th there's you, a way out of this. So you don't think so? No, there's a way out of this now. We know that the console is backwards compatible. Therefore, it's going to read PS4 controllers. So if you're playing PS4 games on it, then you'll use a PS4 controller. Now, I told you earlier that I think that this is an inelegant solution because people will have to have the PS4 controller, well, which is an extra step. Backwards compatible doesn't necessarily mean it's backwards compatible with the hardware or peripherals that you use to inter interface with it. Because technically, the Xbox One is backwards compatible with the 360, but you can't use the 360 controller on an Xbox One. Right. You can but, play those games. But you can use a DualShock 4 on a PS3. You can? Yes. They, oh, they that's did, right, you can. They did, they, so the point is, is that no, okay, like, you're right, yeah, and okay, move sense. bounced between consoles as well. And I think, like we said last well, week. Those special was, peripherals are right. a little bit weird, but like, yeah, that's a good point. It is interesting though, like we said last week, move is going to bounce from PS3 to PS4 to PS5, it looks like, which is strange. But I think that, as I said earlier, backwards compatibility is a rough one because it's, it's essential. We're going to get it. But I, I like the idea of the controller that we're going to get out of the box with PS5 just inherently working with PS4 games, which indicates that it's going to have to have a touchpad. The other solution is that you simply have to have a PS4 controller and maybe they make those really cheap and accessible if you don't have a PS4. I don't like that solution as much. But I guess in my selfish ways, if I were going to choose one, I would be like, fuck it, make the PS5 controller fresh without a touchpad because it sucks. And if you want to play PS4 games, get a PS4 controller. But I don't, as I said episodes ago, I just don't, I don't like that solution. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, well, Days Gone uses the touchpad, actually. I it's actually, yeah, it uses the a lot. First, yeah. It's the first game that I've seen that's done that, really, in a long time. So I would be shocked if they were working on this game while the PS5 was supposedly being, you know, talked about or tossed around, that they would then choose to design their game at the tail end of a console cycle using a feature that could presumably be absent from the next run of hardware. I, right. I so that to me tells me that, yeah, there's probably going to be a touchpad on the next on the next controller. Let's wrap up with a question from Piers Watson. No relation to Piers Morgan, because uh, the first name doesn't indicate that they're related. Yeah, that's a good that's a good good point. What's up, my dudes? Just wanted to add to the whole PS5 8K discussion for people that don't know. There was mentions in the Mark Cerny Wired interview that PS5 will be able to output 8K. There's been a lot of derision about if that means 8K games, which seems impossible or 8K streaming whatever the case might be. So just to catch you up, 
I keep hearing people arguing about whether or not it is feasible, but I have to ask if it even matters. The human eye can only process so many pixels and pass a certain resolution and distance and screen size. It can't even tell the difference. When I hear any company touting 8K support, it actually pisses me off because it feels like they're just trying to get me to buy something bigger and fancier, but not noticeably better. Anyway, this is just my opinion. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? I don't know. I'm skeptical about those human eye kind of arguments because it's like I, I remember a long time ago, people would be like, the human eye can't see past 30 frames per sec. I remember this being said, like, actually for real. I'm like, what do you, what? Yes, it, what? Of the, course. There was some controversy when I was at IGN that a guy there named Mitch Dyer, who, who left IGN a long time ago, he actually wrote Star Wars Battlefront too. So he's at, he's at EA Motive now. But he had said something on a podcast to the, to the tune of something with 720 and 1080p resolutions where you can't even tell the difference between 720 and 1080p resolutions until the screen gets a certain size, which I think is technically true. That's true. But the point is, is that people were all over him about this anyway, which <laughs> the Internet always is. And so I don't deign to even try to figure this shit out because I don't know anything about tech. But there isn't I did see an AK screen. I think I brought it up in the Apple store on the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica. They have an, a massive wall size AK screen there. And it looks beautiful, like what they show. But I agree where I'm like, I was talking to the guy. I'm like, I'd love to see football or something on this because football at 4K looks beautiful. But I wonder if I'll be able to discern it, you know, and I do wonder if it is marketing stuff. And because it is true, the human eye can only discern certain things. There's shit happening all around us that we cannot see. So it's for sure. So there's no surprise that we wouldn't be able to see like certain past a certain resolution. either. I, yeah, but I don't necessarily think 8K is that tipping point. I think because like I remember back when Blu-ray came out and I thought, oh, my God, this looks world changing i can't believe how much how many pores i'm seeing on robert downey jr's face and then 4k happens and it's like wow blu-ray looks really shitty <laughs> you know and i right. imagine and i imagine that it's probably going to be a similar thing now like maybe we're just going to keep seeing more better and better yeah i i don't know like i feel like i'm going to see an 8k tv and i'm going to be like 4k looks like shit right i feel like that's what's gonna happen i'm still rocking my 1080p tv from like 2012 so who knows <laughs> i remember seeing when i got my first flat screen tv out of college it was 720 i think and i remember putting football on for the first time as everyone knows i'm a big football fan and i remember i remember the moment where i'm like holy shit that was like the one moment where i'm like this is insane and that was only the jump from 480i to 720p and i was like wow that was it that was a jump that was that was the first time that I was like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe I was living in this other world for all Games this time. Games are widescreen? Exactly. <laughs> Actually, when I was at IGN, people were making fun of me because I was so used to playing on a 4.3 screen that I would be playing game. And they're like, you have a widescreen TV, dude, like and an HDMI cable and stuff like that. I was so poor that I was like, I had I had I had never even accessed an HDMI. I didn't even know what an HDMI cable really was. I was like so poor. I was using no, like either. composite cables and. You know, Did the PS3 the launch? Because I didn't get a PS3 at launch. I got it like when the slim model came out. Did yeah. the PS3 ha launch with an HDMI? I think it had component cables. Yeah. Okay. The so slim it's, it's came the with an the... HDMI cable, I think. Right. Okay. So it's the same. It was the same. Because I remember when the HDMI came, cable came out, I was like, I don't understand. They took all those cables and made it one. What? It's Why? very cool. Why yeah, did right. they just do that the first time? Dude, it's like so... When you're a kid, you're like... <laughs> it's so interesting. There are young people that don't even remember plugging in your consoles through the cable jack through the coaxial oh, yeah. jack which was a thing that you had to do with NES and SNES now the interesting thing about NES is that you could use composite cables on it which is something that was I can't the NES is so old like even at the time when it was released it was so weak and old and they had the foresight to put composite cable like access on that which I thought was fascinating it is kind of wild you know and uh, so you can actually hook up a, a, a yellow and a red jack to it and play it but yeah, I remember up through Dreamcast. I was I like I, when I got my Dreamcast, I remember going to EB. This was in 1999 to get the cable thing because the TV I had in my room didn't even have like an S video. No, or me composite. too. Yeah. yeah, I had a, I had a coaxial and that was it. So I played I played my Xbox and my PS3 PS2 
through a splitter, this weird like adapter thing. It had nothing. It was just the plug to power it and the coaxial. The kids will never understand. Nah. Never. That's why they'll go extinct. You kids can't go extinct long and quickly enough is, is what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> Chris, that's all we have. It is. For this episode of Sacred Symbols. And I want to congratulate you again on your three-time uh, defending champion uh, for the Snooker uh, World Championships that recently happened. Of course. Uh, also, I got rid of the work. roaches. So I know. You're that's having a great week. Having... And you have a scar on your neck. I do. Yes. <laughs> god damn it uh chris do you have any final comments before we go uh no i'm excited to talk about days gone me too we're gonna record our days gone we'll probably go out and eat first and then we'll go record our days gone shite uh you guys can look forward to that in the coming days thank you so much for supporting our show remember you can get every episode ad free and three days early by supporting us on patreon.com slash collins last stand those perks carry over to my other shows as well it's the only way you can get exclusive podcasts the ability to submit your questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas to the show etc remember sacred symbols merch in this in the form of t-shirts now here, go to tinyurl.com slash sacred shirts and enjoy yourself. And remember, we appreciate everything you do for us. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Carlos Algarit, Eric Alley, CJ Anderson, George Anthony Nunez, Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Geo Corsi, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gassian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Gotham Algonum, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julefs, NK, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow the Third, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perrone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Temanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Joshua Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Homeworld Hub, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app 
or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.